So when I first started as a therapist about 20 years ago, I started seeing some of my clients suffering from sleep deprivation. And I thought to myself, huh, well, maybe they should go to a doctor to talk about that. And I might recommend, hey, you know, you're not getting a lot of sleep. You're telling me you're not getting a lot of sleep, and you're telling me that you might be having some effects from that. Maybe you should talk to your doctor about that. And then the years would go by, and I would have more and more clients complaining about sleep problems, and now they don't have time for it, or they're having trouble falling asleep, or they're having trouble staying asleep. And there's, you know, there's, they have to wake up for their kids' school in the morning at 4 in the morning, and they have to stay up until you know, midnight, and they're, they're not getting any sleep. And, and so eventually I started thinking, well, maybe I, as a therapist, need to start addressing this with my clients. And so I started to do research on sleep. And I started talking more and more with my clients, and I started assessing for it more and more. And I realized that, I don't know, something like half, maybe more, maybe 90% of my clients are suffering from sleep deprivation, and their presenting problem that they bring into therapy might benefit from them addressing their sleep and improving on it. And then I found that it was very difficult to affect change in my clients around this. It, was, it wasn't just as simple as me saying, hey, you know what, you probably should just sleep more. I would find that that, that didn't do anything. And so I made it sort of a personal mission of mine to try to raise awareness regarding sleep deprivation and how it relates to counseling and therapy. And as a part of that, I thought I would have a podcast about this topic and when I got an email from Kristen, who is here in the studio, she says that she wants to talk about sleep on the podcast, and she's a sleep expert. She has made it a part of her practice to be an expert on the topic and also has a shared value as, as I do in terms of raising awareness. Welcome to the podcast, Kristen. Um, thanks, Kirk. Thanks for having me here. Could you please introduce yourself to podcast land? Um, yes, uh, my name is Krista McGee, and I'm a family therapist. I have a private practice in Puyallup, and I became very interested about sleep um, even before I was a therapist. Um, I had a nine-year-old son who could not sleep and wouldn't go to sleep at night, and it was re- very difficult for me to to encourage him to go to sleep, and it just... He suffered academically. He was exhausted. And so then fast forward, I went to um, school to be a therapist, and I had an opportunity to do some research. And I decided to research about sleep. And I really wasn't sure what I was looking for. I just knew that there was something drastically wrong um, with a kid who used to be able to sleep who couldn't sleep anymore, and that I was looking around at other children and adults, and I was realizing that we really weren't getting enough sleep. We were yawning when we shouldn't be yawning, and we were um, complaining about being tired all the time. So what I did is I began researching, and I thought that it had to do more with our schedules or, you know, we needed to work more about how we were handling our daytime routine. Um, What I ended up researching was more the biological piece. And what I discovered is that 
um, we all have a different chromosome type, and we call it an E or an N or an M. And an E stands for eveningness, and an N is for people who don't present with um, either an eveningness or a morningness chromosome, and the M is the morning. And what that really means is that people who are a morning person, it's easier for them to go to sleep earlier in, in the evening. And the N is a little bit later, and the evening is the people who at 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night are finally getting tired. And so I did some more research about that and discovered that evening people this evening chromosome actually presents itself when children are starting maturation. And so that's somewhere between age nine and 12. And during that time, all children end up presenting with this eveningness chromosome. And what happens is their sleep actually becomes delayed because of their melatonin and when it actually secretes. When the melatonin comes, it can be as late as 10, 11, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, which is really frustrating for a parent because they have a child who's complaining. I can't go to sleep. I don't feel tired. And you start to think, oh, gosh, you know, you need to be more active. Yeah, the body chemical melatonin cycles through the 24 hour mm-hmm. day and right. as it increases it's a trigger to the bodily functions to begin the process of being tired and falling asleep correct right correct and so you're saying that the e chromosome people the, that melatonin tends to increase later in the day than than the other two groups of people right and what's what's difficult about it is that all children all adolescents go through this they all become e and then after they finish maturation about age 15 then they all go back into either being a morning person or just an, an n or they beca- or they remain an e all children are an evening person. All children. At, and during their at adolescent years. All of them, yes. Wow. And um, it's just part of the maturation process. So, I mean, what does that mean? That means that, and you can really, one of the ways that they look and study these kids is that if you look at them on the weekends, what time do they naturally go to sleep? What time do they naturally get up in the morning? So if you get kids on the weekends that are exhausted and they're all of a sudden sleeping all these hours, way more hours than you would think normal, like 12 hours, uh, 13 hours, those kids are normally suffering from sleep deprivation. Sleeping until noon on Sunday, for instance. Right, because they're exhausted. Because no matter what, they've got to get up at 7 a.m. in the morning to go to school because they have to. They don't want to be tardy. There's no movement uh, movement for them to be able to to go, stay up late and go, go to school a little bit later. So essentially, the way that the education system works in the States typically is that you're in elementary school, you start school around 9, 9.30 or something. Ele- you know, middle school is 8.30 and high school is 7.30. So that's going in direct opposite directions than what should be happening, which is maybe the opposite direction or even later. So high school should be starting later so kids can sleep in longer and go to bed when they feel like going to bed, which is around 11 o'clock. Right. Well, and if you think of the group that's the absolute most vulnerable are your kids between starting somewhere between nine and 12. So really, it's like your sixth, seventh and eighth and ninth graders. That's a really vulnerable time where everyone is vulnerable. And um, what happens? I mean, schools are all different. I can tell you that there's a woman by the name of Karskadon um, and a number of other people who've really pushed hard to get schools and those, you know, junior high and high schools to push back their, their start times. And the new research that's coming out right now is there. um They're correlating uh, this sleep deprivation, which is caused by these early school start times, and there, you know, there's higher rates of car crashes. There's, uh, they're linking it with depression. They're linking it with 
anxiety, um, aggressive behavior. So um, there, there is there's this connection. But just to kind of go back to the the e the e kids and the e adults, they correlate that too with impulsivity. So people who are more impulsive when they're an e chronotype, they have more creativity. Which I think all my friends who are consider themselves an e chronotype get very excited because they they're like, oh, you know, you're more creative, you're potentially more intelligent, um, you're also exhausted, and you also do worse in school because those because they're not able to adjust because society hasn't adjusted for these people who have this biological factor that doesn't allow them to go to sleep because of their melatonin secretion. Not only because of the systems in place like school schedules Mm -hmm. or your work schedule at Amazon or Microsoft or something, right? but also societal constructs regarding sleep schedules. Like for instance, I I know I'm an E. I've been an E my entire life. Everyone (laughs) in my family is an E. We all stay up very late Mm -hmm. and are not so great in the morning. Although some some people in my family are actually great in the morning. I'm not so great. And so over the years, part of the reason, (laughs) it's funny, one of the reasons why I became a therapist was because, it's interesting that you're you're bringing this up because I didn't know this, this, this chromosome deal, is when I was 24, I was suddenly having to work a regular job and I was working eight to five, just like every other working stiff in Bellevue, Washington. And I could not handle it. It was the, the, the sleep schedule for me was uh, half the reason why I decided to think about a new career. So there I was 24 years old and working, you know, at the, the schedule I was looking ahead for the rest of my life going, well, this is the rest of my life, eight to five. I'm going to, you know, the commute and all this stuff. And I thought I need something different. Well, what jobs allow me to sleep in? <laughs> I mean, I'm sort of emphasizing a particular part of it, but it was, this was definitely part of it. Yeah. And I thought, well, if I go back to school, I could probably sleep in because students can sleep in, I think. And okay, well, what jobs, if I went back to school <laughs> and I started going through all my kind Kind of dream jobs, and then therapists came up, and I figured, oh, I bet you therapists don't work in the morning. That's probably like an after work thing, you know. And and so I'm emphasizing, you know, being a therapist involved, you know, ten other major reasons why I wanted to pursue that career. But but the sleep schedule was part of that, and and it's and it's true. Since that time, I have basically been able to sleep in until like eight or nine every day. But I go to bed at two in the morning, and when I tell that to people, they think I'm lazy. They say, "Oh, so you slept in till nine? Like you, I've gotten half my days, you know, work done by nine o'clock. You know, that's so lazy of you." And I say, "Well, I'm still sleeping seven hours a day, um, and I get and I do work at one in the morning because that's when I feel energy sometimes. But there's this, but not, whenever I admit that to people." And I somewhat hesitate even to admit it to podcast land because I, I just know that a lot of the morning people will judge me as being lazy or adolescent or a partier or there's, there's something wrong with me. We privilege waking up in the morning. People who wake up at six in the morning, these are go-getters. These are the stars. These are you know the people that uh, are responsible. You know? So that's another reason I think that is working against the ease of the world. Yeah. Well, some of the late, the last re- latest research that's come out is that there's actually more E's and N's in the world than these M people. There's very few M people. Some of the research that I looked at that was a little bit older, they tried to, they said that it was more of an even distribution. 20% was an, was an M, 20 was an E, and the rest were the N. Well, now that they've done the research where they actually looked at people on the weekends, because the weekends is when you, you become your true self. And some of the big research is done. They've looked at um, summer schedules, like they'll take late adolescent, early, 
young adults. So somewhere, you know, 14 to mid 20s. And they look at that that group, but, but they look at them in the summertime. So now what they've done is they've taken some research and they've looked at people on the weekends and how they how they sleep and what their rest and how, you know, rested they are. And they've come away saying that there's very few M's. There's a, <laughs> it's just not as common, but our society has definitely made us believe, oh gosh, you've got to get up early. You got to go to bed early. Well, I was, you know, there, as far as I can, I've not, maybe there's, it's out there, but the research out there that I've seen has not correlated being an early morning person to success. Right. So there, so that is a societal um, construct. Right. So. What do you do? I mean, we're not going to, the two of us, change the way our society works regarding schedules Mm -hmm. and the way that high schools and middle schools operate. So what do you do? So in Spain, they they took a group of kids. Actually, it was a pretty large group. I think it was like 300 plus. And they found these e-kids and they did a psychoeducation program with them. And they they were not doing well in school. I forgot the variance, but I want to say they were... 17% 17% below where they should be performing. It was quite high. So they took this group of kids and they educated them. They said, hey, you're an e-chronotype. You know, this is your melatonin. You know, you know what, what can we do for you? And um, it helped. It did help them. There is a, a, a point where you have to realize that you, you can't help them. If you're going to make them go to school at six o'clock in the morning, it's going to be really difficult for them. Right. But, you know, they've actually shown um, for an extra 40 minutes of sleep, an extra 20 minutes of sleep for some of these kids can make a big difference. So I think we're, we're not looking at making massive changes to our to our social structure. Um, small changes can help. Hmm. And then also um, we talk a lot about the biological piece, but there's also a solar piece. So the amount of light... And so they've said if you can get outside and be outside in the light during the day, that will help you with your melatonin and also electronics, you know, turning those electronics off an hour or so before you go to bed and darken your home. So if you have these bright fluorescent you know, lights in your home, you need to, to dim those. Right. And so you can start creating that, that, you know, atmosphere, that feeling so that kids will, adults as well, will start to feel tired. My mom has this app on her computer that makes the mm. computer screen turn redder, I think, as oh, okay. the day goes on. Is Have you heard anything on that? Um, I haven't. I mean, one of the problems, it's like we're talking about the e-chronotype, but one of the side effects, of course, is sleep deprivation. Mm. So when you end up having sleep deprivation, what people do is they overeat mm. and they drink caffeinated drinks mm. and they ha- they ha um, their behaviors actually cause them not to be able to go to sleep when they finally have the chance to go to sleep. So it's a vicious cycle that's being created. Yeah. So, you know, like what I would tell um, people that that I would meet with, I'm like, you, you know, you kind of have to almost attack this like a mission. You know, you need to think about your diet. You need to think about it like when are you going to go to sleep? And the big thing is, is you cannot change your schedule. So if you have a kid or you're an adult and you know you're an e-chronotype and you really want to stay up till midnight and the weekend comes... And all of a sudden you're like, okay, this is my chance. I'm going to stay up till midnight. That's going to be really hard for you. It's going to be really hard because the most, one of the most important things is to maintain your schedule. So if you're forcing yourself to get to bed at 10, you've got this great routine. You need to try to stick to that as much as possible. And that's what gets really hard. It's really hard for adolescents, especially when they want to go on game, you know, the Xbox and they want to, you know, stay out late with their friends and you want them to do that too. And we want to do that as adults, but then the, you know, Repercussion, of course, is you're going to feel that jet lag. Yeah, I, I remember it was a light that went off for me a couple of years ago for the first time in my life, this very thing. I was reading research on jet lag and how that has these various cognitive 
uh, negative effects on your memory, on your processing speed, your IQ, your emotional regulation, mm-hmm. your attention, all these kinds of things. And it all made sense because you're, if you fly to China from Seattle, your biological rhythm is going to be completely off. And when you normally are up and at them, you're supposed to be in bed. And so everything gets screwed up. And we all have had that experience of being sleep deprived and our brain just is not working. I mean, to do menial tasks like watch TV, I can do that regardless. But when I have to really think about something I'm writing or something, it is impossible for me to do when I'm when I'm sleep deprived. And and then it, I extended it. I was like, well, okay, so if on the weekends I stay up till, you know, X and the weekdays are, you know, so I do this, I perpetually jet lag myself. I'd, I'd have to get up early in the morning during the week and then I would, wouldn't on the weekend, I'd stay up late. And then I was, so on the weekends I was jet lagged in one direction and the weekdays I was jet lagged in a different direction. And I was just doing this to myself every single week. And it would take me until like Thursday to like recover from the weekend sleep thing, but I didn't really notice it because I'd been doing it basically since I was born. Mm-hmm. So what I tried to do, I tried to stay up later during the week and I tried to go to bed earlier on the weekend to try to make it more uniform, which was hard to do to some extent. But but I and when I did that, I found that it really helped my cognitive abilities and, and my energy level. What about naps, though? Because I, as I get older, in, in my 40s, I find that sometimes naps are my best friend. Is that part, uh, is, that, is that a good idea? What's the advice on that? Um, okay, so the naps are interesting. The problem, okay, a nap is fine, but not very long. Because if you go too long, that messes up your schedule again. So, um, so if you're going to take a nap, it needs to be short. How short? Less than an hour. I usually set my timer for 30 minutes. Perfect. Okay. Yeah, that's Maybe good. Maybe sometimes 20 minutes. It's perfect. Yeah, that's okay. fine. Because okay. it kind of rests. You get a little extra rest. Yeah. So when you're talking about how you jet lagged yourself, and so you're going through sleep deprivation, basically. And so you're right. It's like I have a... So when you you know reduce the amount of, of sleep, you're increasing your stress. You're increasing your anger. You're increasing your impulsivity. And um, and also that's when people start drinking, smoking, eating carbs, and anything that they can find to stimulate their body. So um, as for a therapist, I mean, that's something to keep in mind. If you've got a, a kid that comes into your office who is drinking monster drinks and the parents are like, they're yawning all the time. And, you know, and I just was, you know, um, recently observing some kind of pre-adolescent kids doing some things and it was in the middle of the afternoon and I was watching them yawn. And I thought, that's sleep deprivation right there. Right. It, it's that, you know, people are like, well, how do you know you're sleep deprived? Well, you know, do you, do you feel sleepy in the middle of the day? Like, do you feel, do you wake up? I always ask clients, I'm like, do you, do you not feel rested? And you know, you know, your alarm goes off and you don't drag five, you drive 30 minutes and you're barely functioning. That's sleep deprivation. Because really, if you're trying to follow, you know, you get the, enough rest you're not like that. You're able to get up. And I also found that when I had a more constant schedule with mm-hmm. more consistent schedule through the week of, of sleeping, I would wake up before my alarm went, like a couple minutes before my alarm went off, which was bizarre <laughs> for me because <laughs> that would never happen in the past. But yeah, I would be, I would just wake up and I'd look at the clock and it'd be like, you know, two minutes until my alarm and I'd feel wide awake mm-hmm. because my body, it, it wants to have that routine. And, and I think that that's the light that went off a couple years ago. Because in the past, I thought, well, it doesn't matter when you sleep, as long as you get seven or eight hours, then it's good. But but a couple years ago, this light went off and said, no, your body's continually trying to build a routine 
because even when it's not just seven hours of quote unquote sleep, it's it's seven hours where you're going through several stages of sleep that try to get coordinated. And okay. and and the idea is is you you have to uh, the best case scenario is you wake up at a particular uh, point in the cycle that. Uh, even if you get eight hours of sleep, if you wake up in the middle of deep sleep, it's 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 disruptive to you. You want to wake up in this natural sense, you know, as you come up to stage one, that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I I, I really realize. And then I got one of those apps that you put on your phone, and it's supposed <laughs> to like gauge how your your movement in bed, and and it's supposed to have a it's a rough uh, guess as to the stages of sleep you go through, and you can kind of monitor it, and you can even <laughs> enter in things like did you drink caffeine that day and does that affect things and you really realize just how erratic your sleep schedule is because you, yeah. you graph it all out and it's like man I, I i don't do anything the same any any day you know so have you ever used those those apps before no i haven't i've heard of them before but yeah. no i i, I haven't the, used the only thing they do is they monitor because your phone has a has a movement sensor mm-hmm. and you put it on your mattress and so all it does is gauge the amount of movement and that's supposed to be associated with a stage of sleep the deeper sleep you are the less you move but that's a very rough estimate when you actually go to a sleep study mm-hmm. lab they'll yeah. they'll they hook up all these electrodes to you and have a much closer idea right but um but it's inter- i think it's good for people to to do because it raises awareness regarding sleep yeah no i mean it it does i mean when i was talking about my one child that had all these sleep issues he's had two sleep studies because i was convinced that he had sleep apnea that there must be something wrong because when you have somebody in your family that doesn't like to go to bed and who's tired all the time it, it's you it's natural to think, well, gosh, maybe they have sleep apnea or you know, there's something really, you know, going on. But when I discovered that it's just that he's this echronotype and I could address it in a completely different way. And it's not a it's not a problem. For, for him. How did you dress it? Just let him go to bed later? Or? Um, we talked a lot about it. We still talk a lot about it. And we talk about, you know, what time he needs to go to bed, how many hours of sleep. If he's if he's going to stay up late with his friends, like what that's going to happen? What's that going? What does that mean? Hmm. Um, and so what I've done a lot with him is psychoeducation. So instead of saying like, you need to go to bed because that's what good boys do. No. You say, remember, you're an e-chronotype. And we've <laughs> talked about this before that if you if you mess with your sleep schedule, you're likely going to have more irritability, you're going to be in a bad mood, and then you might get in trouble at school. And remember what happened a few years ago when you're getting in trouble every day? We don't want that. That sort of psychoeducation, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Just kind of always having it part of the dialogue that you need to have, you know, nine hours of sleep and how are you going to get those nine hours of sleep? Rather than just screaming at the kid because yeah. it's the right thing because mommy said right and i think educating parents so that parents can start to have some empathy for their kids i'm not an evening chronotype i never stay up really late i like to you know around 10 11 o'clock i'm really happy to go to bed but do you fall asleep during movies and yes i do yes i do kirk (laughs) (laughs) i know people like you i i know i'm sorry but i don't but i thought about it i thought gosh am i really Am I really not an evening chronotype? Because I've, you know, I have a 14 year old. So I've had children at my house for the last 15 years or had, you know, that messes with your sleep the minute you have children. And I'm sure that's another reason why I'm so interested in sleep is that I've been sleep deprived forever because there's always somebody waking up. And I value my sleep so much now because when you're not sleeping, you're not able to handle the stresses of life. Yeah. I, I now, when I have a big cognitive task, like currently in my program, we're going through 
reaccreditation, mm-hmm. and it's entirely on my shoulders to write the self study and to to get us reaccredited. It's just it's a very very arduous, long, annoying process. Lots of paperwork and lots of stuff, and it's not fun for me. So when I sit down to do it, and I need to do it for like eight hour blocks. And I need to think and write and think and write. And it so it, it's a double whammy. It's something I, I'm not looking for. I don't want to do. And it requires a lot of brain power. A lot of I have to store a lot of memory stuff as I'm doing it. And I plan my sleep the day before. I, I, I really make sure that I get good sleep. I even drink my coffee at a very specific time because that gives me a, a, a little extra boost. <laughs> And, and then I'm off and running, you know, it's like, okay, I've, I, cause I've really realized that my brain fluctuates in its abilities and I need to capitalize on those moments when it's functioning well, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, and sleep is definitely a part of that. So Kristen, I remember when I first got to know you as a, a couple and family therapy student in the, the program at Antioch, I, I remember as we were talking about cases you were working on with your clients I remember it was you that was always bringing up sleep issues. <laughs> you, you, yeah. every, every client, it was at a case consultation class and other interns were talking about their students and they're saying, you know, yeah, I have this 13 year old kiddo who's getting in trouble at school for attention problems. And, you know, this, the diagnosis is ADHD, the kid's on Adderall. And you're like, have you thought about sleep? <laughs> have you thought about sleep? You know, and, and, and every, and, you know, another, it's like, oh, the parents are depressed, you know, and you'd, you'd say, have you thought about sleep with the parents? <laughs> and, and, but the thing is, is I totally agree. And, it, and it's odd that a lot of people don't think about it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I bet you you find that a lot of people, it just doesn't even occur to them to even oh, think yeah. about it or to assess it even, right? Yes. I feel like a bit of a broken record, I have to say. I feel like I've been labeled, <laughs> but I don't mind the label, but it is. I hear all the time, I hear people will talk about clients or kids or just themselves, and I'm always thinking to myself, how much sleep are you getting? It goes through my head for everybody. I'm like, are you under seven hours? Because if you're under six, it's really detrimental. <laughs> and, you know, and so, yes, it, it, I'm thinking about it often. And, and I, you know, I watch a lot of TED Talks about it. It's interesting when you, when you become aware of something that is in our society mm-hmm. you, and the, the you, you know, the scales have fallen from your eyes, so to speak, and no one else sees it. Yes. I, I have a similar reaction regarding a lot of social constructions that bother me in our culture regarding racism and sexism and other isms, a lot of isms. Sleepism, we should call it sleepism or something. It, it, it is, it's aggravating to have it, to see it day after day after day and to not see any movement in our culture. We, you know, I think, I think the, one of the main reasons is because we have this value that, you know, we're so, the rest of the world, I feel like, has a better appreciation of sleep, it seems. You know, like in France, they get, what, like six weeks off, right? Mm-hmm. In America, in the, in the States, it's all about work and productivity and how little sleep you can get by on. I remember when I was getting my bachelor's degree as a young man, I wanted to see how little sleep I could get by on. I, I did this experiment where I tried to change seven days into six days, so I took however many hours there are in in like 120 or something something in 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 seven days, and 
I stayed up for 20 hours, then I slept for like six hours or something. So every day was 26 hours. It, it was a weird system. So I woke up and went to sleep at a completely different time every day. And so I only had six waking days in seven days. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And I, when my in my head, I thought, well, if I get on a different biological rhythm, I'm going to get so much more life, more waking life out of life. But probably, I don't remember because it was ages ago, but probably as a result, I just ruined my, you know, my week at, during that week and then the next few weeks just trying to recover from that weirdness, right? Right. So, but I remember definitely having that value of like, well, how can I get by on as little sleep as possible? And I remember bragging to people and saying like, I, I only need four hours of sleep. I'm fine with just four hours of sleep. But in reality, I was probably irritable and, and not quite up to speed and not my best, but lack of awareness, lack of personal awareness probably resulted in me just not even realizing that my body wasn't tip top, you know? Yeah. The whole view of sleep and rest has changed. And I was looking at some quotes from some famous people. Um, and there was this one quote I thought was interesting. It's, enjoy the honeydew of slumber. So who do you think said that? Uh, uh, Albert Einstein? <laughs> nope. Nope. Actually, it was Shakespeare and Julius Caesar. Oh, okay. So during that era, you know, sleep was sort of treasured, right? We, we want to sleep. We mm. want to rest. Like resting is okay, yeah. right? Um, and then at the turn of the century, when you started having the Industrial Revolution, what do you think happened? Anti-sleep slogans. Yes. S sleeping is for the unproductive masses or something. <laughs> Sleeping is for communism or something. I don't know. So, well, one of them was sleep is a criminal waste of time. And that was Thomas Edison. And my, my other one, which I thought was um, interesting, was sleep is for wimps. And that was Margaret Thatcher. So the whole attitude about sleep really changed. The whole idea that we can just work, 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 work. And the more we work, the better off we are. We really don't need sleep. And you do, you still hear people go, oh, I only need six hours. I work really well. And of course, since I've done all this reading, I'm thinking to myself, well, actually, I know that you're not because you can't continue to function on six hours of sleep or four hours of sleep. You just can't do it. You start to have health, you know, illnesses. And, and there's a lot, you know, there's new research research and they're looking at the, the connection of sleep deprivation, actually physical ailments that go on on people's bodies, not just psychological. So, you know, this is, I think, you know, you're saying, well, we, the two of us can't change it and we absolutely can't. But I think what's really positive is there's so many people not talking about sleep and that maybe, just maybe in the next 10, 15, you know, 15 years, there will be a movement that we can go back to Shakespeare and, and, and leave Thomas Edison and Margaret Thatcher behind. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if the electronics movement will help with this because the, I, I heard this this story that they're starting to have, I can't remember what they're calling it, but they're, I know, my cat loves bags too. He, he, he'll lick luggage. He, there's, there's certain textures that cats love, and, and one of them happens to be, be bags. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I heard the story that your Tide, your, your laundry detergent, will have a little strip on it. And when you've run out of laundry detergent, you press this button, and it's actually connected to the Internet. So your laundry detergent will have this tiny little Internet 
trans transponder thing and you press it and then Amazon or whatever will just send you another one in the mail something along those lines so so I, I you know it, it sounds ridiculous but cell phones sounded ridiculous when they first came out we're old enough to remember that oh, oh yeah that time I think that sounds like a great thing <laughs> okay so imagine if you're if if you just ex, you know if you just keep adding these little cheap electronic transponding devices around your life your mattress could have one that could you know just passively keep track of your sleep schedule and then you might have a have an app on your phone that might ask you how's your energy level or you know or monitor how many times you've exercised you know everyone will have a fitbit or something or your phone will just naturally keep track of this sort of stuff maybe and maybe it'll it'll just send you this 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 notification after a couple months and say did you know that when you sleep less you exercise less and eat more and your weight goes up did you know that because the problem that I see in terms of changing the you know the, our society is that a lot of people are just not aware of themselves that you know mm-hmm. to be to be truly aware of yourself you have to be you have to have time one you have to be very organized and you have to be very introspective you have to be very na- navel gaze gazy you have to have support you have to you know you have to there have to be a lot you have to be the self actualizers I kind of feel like. The self-actualizers are the people who are actually working on their sleep. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like everyone else is just scraping to get by. And along those lines, when I talk to people about sleep, when I talk with my clients about it, I say, you know, how's your sleep going? And it's like, oh, you know, not so great. Okay, well, how many hours sleep are you going? Well, I don't know, maybe eh, five or six. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, that's probably four or five if they say that. You know, and then I give them a little spiel about how it's likely affecting their issues. And they're just like, oh, okay, agreed. Well, uh, so how, we, how do you want to work on it? And it's like, well, it's, it's impossible. I, there's nothing I can do. I mean, there's nothing. I would have to cut something out of my life in order for me to get an extra hour of sleep. I would have to take, I don't have an extra hour in my day. And I say, okay, well, let's run through your day. And they'll, you know, they'll say, okay, get up, get the kids ready, uh, you know, make breakfast, get them to school, go to work. Da, 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 get home and then I got to make dinner and then I got to help them with their homework and then and then I'm pooped and I need an hour of veg time in front of the TV with my husband and then I fall asleep and and I'm looking at it and I'm like, yeah, how, how are we going to add an hour to that? And the universal thing, almost universal, nearly universal thing I come to is people need to work less. People are working like 55, 65 hours a week. And where do those extra hours come from? In my estimation, and I think research shows this, it comes from sleep. As Americans, we work way too much. And what does that do? It makes you less productive at, less productive at work, which makes, means you have to work more hours. If we, if we worked 30 hours a week, but got eight hours of good sleep every night, how productive could we be in those 30 hours? My guess is, is very productive. Right. No, actually, I mean, it, it's costing costing us money. So what I mean, if you think of, OK, so if you have people who are sleep deprived and what the research is coming out is they're talking about um, particularly about adolescents, about when they're sleep deprived, they call it their accident rate goes up. OK, that costs our nation a lot of money. Insurance companies, a lot of money, and, our society and deaths and deaths. And deaths. And it just goes, yes, uh, that's a really high cost for us not to make sleep a priority. And I, I really think it's just a dialogue. The more we talk about it, the more research that comes out, the more people start to understand how connected sleep is to our life. I heard this really interesting statistic. If we live till we're 90 years old, a third of our life will be sleep. That's 32 years. And what we know about sleep is that we really don't know that much about sleep. We don't really know what happens while we're sleeping, but we know if when we don't sleep, 
a lot of really bad things happen. So that's the, and we really need to start talking more and more about those bad things. And then, you know, how much money is that really costing? Because again, most people think, well, the more you sleep, the less productive you are, mm-hmm. right? That's what Margaret Thatcher thought. <laughs> <laughs> so it looks like you have some research there from a, a respectable hard copy of a journal. I do, Kirk. It's Translational Issues in Psychological Science is actually the name of the journal. And at the end of one of their um, articles, which is called Implications of Sleep Loss for Organizations, I'll, I'll just read what they write here. It says, um, sleepy employees um, interpret situations more negatively, respond impulsively to threat, ambitious situations, and demonstrate lower self-regulatory um, ability. Moreover, sleepy employees are less creative, make poorer decisions, and take unnecessary risks. Yeah, I could see that. So, yeah. Puts you in a bad mood. You wake up on the wrong side of the bed. They should change that phrase to, you woke up on the on the shorter length side of the time. <laughs> Have you ever found that when you talk with people about their sleep, they get sleepy if they're sleep deprived? Um, I feel like when I have this conversation with people, often I'm having it because I think they're sleep deprived. So yes. <laughs> well, I've I've found anecdotally <laughs> that I'll start off with someone and they seem energized normally. And then, <laughs> I mean, it might just because I'm a boring person, <laughs> but even just talking about sleep for, I don't know, just a minute, I find that people get really tired. It's almost like it triggers them or something if they're sleep deprived to, to, to think about falling asleep. I don't know. You, you haven't found that? I think what I find is people are so happy. They go, really? I'm an e-chronotype. That explains so much. They go, you know, that's why. And they have a whole list of things immediately how they felt like they haven't fit into school, their families society because they want to stay up late and they want to get up late. And the first thing they tell me is I'm not lazy. I'm really not lazy. I just don't want to go to bed. And just like you said, it's like, so they've been keeping it inside all these years. And all of a sudden by me saying, hey, you could be an e-chronotype. That's actually a biological you know, marker and that this is something that you you can't change. You're going to be an e-chronotype for the rest of your life. And right. oh, I, and then they talk a lot. <laughs> yeah. I remember another cultural message. There used to be this army or Marines commercial. I don't know if you remember it. Yes, or- I remember. <laughs> where it was, you know, it's this action-packed, guys get up and they're jumping out of airplanes. And, and then as the sun is rising, they're they're drinking their coffee and they're having a little Miller time kind of moment with their comrades. And it says, we do more before 6 a.m. than you do all day or something. It was, it was right. sort of a, a phrase like that. And I remember thinking... Wow, how great it must be to like be a part of a team where you all wake up like super early in the morning and you get all this stuff done, you know. But the part that they don't say is, well, they went to bed at 7 p.m. to wake up at 2, you know what I mean? Well, you have to think, too, about the military has a lot of issues. And you have to wonder if maybe some of those issues come from sleep deprivation. I mean, they have issues with suicide, suicide ideation. They have problems with alcoholism, drug abuse, substance abuse. There's a lot of things that are going in the military. The military is having a hard time recognizing, understanding. And I don't know if they're looking at sleep deprivation um, or if they're looking at e-chronotypes or if they're taking a look at, you know, what are the biological factors of their soldiers. But if they have soldiers that are e-chronotypes and they're waking those guys up at five o'clock in the morning, I I would suspect that they are really sleep deprived. Right. And to me, it's not only just the E chronotype versus the other chronotype issue. It's shift work. Mm -hmm. I I know guys in the military, women in the military. And I also talk to people that work at Boeing, for instance, that work on different shifts. Mm -hmm. 
And I, I find that to be some sort of like labor violation because these people are required to work these really weird shifts. I find that these people are, they're making good money, but they're miserable and they're tired all the time. Well, when they, some of the stuff, e-chronotypes sometimes, they gravitate to jobs that, especially if you are an outlier. So it's like you were saying how you're, you're you know, e, you like to stay up late. Well, there are these people out there who are really out there as far as two super, super, super e's. e's. We'll call them super e's. I don't know if that's a term or not, but they will call them a super e. And there's a couple of things. Or, va- you, or vampires. But they're vampires, maybe. <laughs> um, they gravitate towards ER doctors, um, taxi cab drivers, shift workers. They love it. And and they do fine. Your problem is, is if you try to take an M or me, if you put me in one of those positions, that would be a nightmare for me. I would I would not do well. Yeah. When I was getting my bachelor's, I was a security guard and sometimes I was I was a, you know, midnight shift. And I remember really, really liking that. Yeah. See, you'd be perfect. Yeah. You're a vampire. Yeah. But I, I am not. <laughs> There's also kind of a romantic notion about it all for me because when the city, everyone was asleep at four in, or three in the morning, it's just kind of a magical thing. You get, you feel like it's your city, you know, you get to wander around the city and no one's really around, you know, it just, I remember really liking it at yeah. three in the morning. Yeah. I, yeah, no, that yeah. would not entice me at all. Right. Maybe midnight or one o'clock. Actually for me, it'd be getting up early and right. going for a run. Like I used to live in Savannah, Georgia and I would get up very early with my lab to go for a walk and I would get up on a Saturday morning at like six. Nobody. Let me tell you, Savannah, Georgia, which is a big party town, <laughs> nobody's up at 6 a.m. But me and my nice, happy dog. So it was great. So right. I do understand that romantic feel, but for me, it was the morning. So E's have three in the morning and M's have six in the morning. Yeah. Those magic yeah. moments. Yeah. And what's really magical is if you have an M Marion E. Yeah. I then feel you like have that a happens problem. a lot. I feel like it that happens, happens a lot. lot. So then you're not on the same, you know, and actually you're saying a 24 hour clock, they think it's somewhere between 24 to 5, 25 hours. It's like somewhere in there. So if you can imagine if all of a sudden you have an M and an extreme E, it can be really difficult in a marriage or in a relationship or parents who are, you know, E's and have M's or M's who have E's. I mean, it just gets really complicated and and just having some um, empathy for the other person and they're not really trying to make you bad, (laughs) even though it feels like they're trying to annoy you every single day. Right. What do you think about couples sleeping in separate beds as a result of trying to accommodate each other's different sleep schedules. Um, I think if you do not get, you know, eight hours of sleep, good eight hours of sleep, you're going to be pretty. You, your relationship will really suffer. So that's what I do think. I mean, in so sleeping if, in separate beds, if if that's what it takes, if that's what it takes, yeah. Because if you're if you're not getting any rest, you're not going to be very pleasant to live with, and then right. you're going to have other marital issues stemming from the fact that you're no longer able to communicate. Yeah, let me let me ramble a little bit about this issue. Yeah, go ahead. You know, we have this cultural notion that if you're a couple and you don't sleep in the same bed, there's something wrong with your with your marriage. Mm-hmm. Often, it's a symptom that you hate each other and you don't like to sleep in the same bed. But certainly, you can be in a very loving couple. And and what I've found is that with gay couples, they will be more ready because they, you know, when you're a gay gay male couple, you you already don't fit into the traditional look of a 
of a relationship, of a marriage. And so you're freer to question certain social constructs. And one of them is, if sleeping in the same bed makes us not sleep so well, why don't we just get our own bedrooms and our own beds and sleep there? Because when I sleep in the guest room, I sleep like a baby. And when I sleep next to you, you toss and turn or you get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom and then I wake up. And you know. And so, so that's one thing that I would like to see considered in our culture. So when I talk to people that are sleep-deprived in my practice, I find that the reason is is because they have a hard time falling asleep at night. And when I ask them how or why it's hard for them to fall asleep at night, they'll say, well, my mind races when I when my head hits the pillow. And I say, okay, well, so let's work on how you can stop that. And and so for people out there, I just want you to know if you tr- if you suffer from sleep, that's that's p- a possible reason why. And the there are solutions to. A lot of people feel like there's no solution to that. That like, well, that's just how I am. My mind races, or my life sucks right now, and so I, I'm just going to think all these negative thoughts, and I can't stop thinking about all these horrible things. Or I'm stressed out at work, and I have all these things I have to get done, and they run through my head as soon as my head hits the pillow, and. What I tell people is that if you get into a practice of, you know, some people might call it mindfulness. Some people might call it just just being mindful of the kinds of thoughts you have and sort of managing the thoughts you have. And what I tell people, and it works, is when your head hits the pillow, the first thought that enters your mind, if if you predict that's going to be a thought that's going to keep keep kind of rolling around in your brain, you you wake up, turn on the light, and you write it down. You write it down on a piece of paper. You type it into your iPhone or something. And then you say, I'm going to work on that tomorrow, not now. That, that you know, say it's like, oh, I have that meeting tomorrow. I have to prepare for. Well, you're you're not going to do any good by thinking about that and getting sleep deprived. So you wake up, you write it down, you say, okay, got that meeting, I'm going to prepare first thing in the morning, that's what I'm going to do. And what I find is that people have like three or four of these thoughts, they get up, they write it down, and then they're, they feel secure that as soon as they wake up, they're going to look at those things, but they're not going to think about it right now. And then as those thoughts pop into their head, when they're trying to sleep, they remind themselves to not think about those thoughts, that it's not going to be helpful. And then they also work on different thoughts that help them sleep. Uh, there, there are some people that will think about having superpowers. I know someone who thinks about being Superman or something. You know, it's a fantasy and it doesn't, it's not stressful and, and you know, it's not real. So you're not really thinking about it. You know, you're just, it's just fanciful, easy thinking. And what, what I find is that it, once you find that type of thought pra- practice or exercise and you write things down, you know, as they occur to you, that people fall asleep much more easily. I have had a number of clients that have issues going to sleep at night. And so I've tried to, I- a number of different things that people have had some success with. Um, the one is I have them before they go to bed, I have them sit in their room and visualize like a box. And then I have them put in whatever it is that they're thinking about that's really troubling them to actually con- think of themselves as putting it in the box and I have them close their eyes and we do it in the office and and we go through a whole process of all the things that they worry about, whatever that may be. And then I have them put the visualize putting the lid on the box you know, putting it down on the ground and knowing that, you know, tomorrow, the next day that they'll deal with whatever's in that box. 
and and just to kind of go through that routine every single night. And it's funny, I've noticed that girls, um, women seem to be able to do that one better. Like that seems to be something that resonates with them. Um, I've had um, boys and men and w- that what has helped with them is I go on the internet and on YouTube has different um, like Delta waves and they listen to the music before they go to sleep. And that's been helpful. I went to a seminar a few years ago and there was a doctor out of, who's out of the East Coast, I can't remember his name, um, pretty famous man who worked with children who had been abused and who could not sleep at night. And he recommended um, having children put their hands on their chest, close their eyes and breathe in and count to 10 and then breathe out and count to you know, 10 or five, but the number doesn't matter. And what I tell clients depend, you know, regardless of age or sex is that the number is your number. It doesn't need to be a specific number, but it needs to be a number because it's very difficult to stay awake, counting and breathing, and if, and also feeling the sensation with your hand on your on your abdomen. And that works really well. Yeah, that sounds really similar to the thing that I do. Right, with the it is. Down. It's just all different mindfulness techniques. And right. we talk about how the one thing I do tell people when they say they wake up in the middle of the night is to get out of bed and just stand in the dark. And you will get tired and you'll want to go to bed rather than laying in bed and just ruminating. Because when you lay in bed and you ruminate, all of a sudden you, you're, you're awake and you're right. miserable. Right. So this brings up the, a lot of other offshoots from this that I also talk with people. Say their mom died six months ago and they're still grieving that intensely. Part of their sleep issues are related to their grief process, and it, their sleep is just going to suffer until they recover from that loss. So there's things like that. So the therapy will focus on the grieving, and their you know, day-to-day practice will will focus on the grieving to some extent, and their their and to address their sleep, but also have realistic expectations that their sleep isn't likely to be perfect anytime soon while they're going through it. Depression, domestic violence, alcoholism, Mm -hmm. other kinds of substances. Yeah, I find that, I don't know, a third of the people that I talk to about sleep, I'll say, well, how much, how much caffeine do you drink? And they say, well, you know, quite a bit. And, and, and when do you, when's your last cup of coffee? And I say, oh, I don't know. I, I drink coffee all day at work, you know, so what till five o'clock? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And I say, well, you're <laughs> there's no way you're going to fall asleep with that much caffeine in your system. It takes a long time to metabolize. It's a stimulant, as everyone knows, and your body will not fall asleep. I remember one time for myself, I accidentally drank too much caffeine. You know that Via? Have you ever had that Star Star uh, Starbucks yeah, Via. Via? It's mm-hmm. like instant coffee. I think it's like. 10 times the caffeine is regular coffee or something because (laughs) it got me so jittery. And then later that night, I could not fall asleep. And I remember what would happen is my brain, parts of it would fall asleep, but the main part of my brain would not fall asleep. Like my body would get numb. I would feel my, my body losing sensation. I would feel like I was falling into a hole but my consciousness was totally alive and, and buzzed. And, and this went on all night long, and I couldn't fall asleep at all. Like, I think I stayed up all night long just, just struggling to fall asleep. And I was just like, man, I'm never drinking that via anymore. And so, you know, and some people will say this. They'll say, oh, I can fall asleep right after drinking coffee. And I'll say, well, yeah, that's possible. But there's also 
it's also just as likely that you won't be able to fall asleep because of coffee. Or you're falling asleep because of coffee because you're so sleep deprived that your body just says shut down, you know? And so so caffeine is a problem. The other thing I tell people is like is caffeine your your body gets tolerant of it. So if you drink it every day, you're just bringing your body up to normal. So if you really want to benefit the if you really want to benefit have the benefits of caffeine, you should only drink when you really want the buzz and you should not drink on the days when you don't want the buzz. Cuz some people just drink coffee it seems like all day every day cuz they're so addicted to it, you know what I mean? You know you live in Seattle, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, you, you, it's it's really important here, Kirk, that we have our coffee. I don't even want to tell you how much coffee I drink. I I do try to get decaf. Yeah, I really which, do. Which I mean, has I, caffeine. Which in has it. caffeine in it. Yeah, right. Yeah, but it's difficult. I mean, I feel for everyone who's listening to this podcast is yeah. that it's really dark here in the winter and it's really rainy and sometimes you Absolutely. need coffee to wake up. And, and if, if there and was an if there was a drug that our body didn't become acclimated to, yeah. well, unfortunately caffeine is not one of them, then I would say absolutely go for it. Again, the problem is is that if you drink coffee every day, your body gets used to it to the point where the, the you know, the 50th day you have coffee, it doesn't actually help. It just you're just you're just putting off the withdrawal symptoms and you're not actually getting any more energy from it. So yeah. what I do with ca- caffeine is I drink caffeine on days when I want to have that effect and I refrain from drinking coffee even though my even though my body wants me to have caffeine because I, I don't want to get into the cycle of ever increasing caffeine intake like I'm some sort of caffeine junkie. Another thing in Seattle and I'm guessing other places too, you know, there's a fair amount of booze drinking. People will drink you know, they'll have a couple glasses of wine with dinner or maybe more. And what I tell people is that it'll make you tired and it'll it'll help you pass out. But it, it, it reduces the quality of the sleep and it reduces the rejuvenation effects of sleep. Even just a couple of drinks will, will, will not help. So although you won't be hung over the next day on a couple of drinks, you're basically erasing like a couple hours of sleep from your sleep schedule. Alcohol definitely reduces the amount of sleep that you get. People but people get the feeling that they're going to bed. Oh, I'll have a glass of wine. I'll go to sleep. I'll feel so much better. And actually, it's not helping at all. Right. So, But it's difficult to li- live this purest life. You know, no, no caffeine, no wine. You know, you just exercise every day and you sit in the sun. Yeah. You well, know, so it's really hard. It's like you're trying to figure out, okay, so, you know, you know all these, all these pieces. Yeah. But then how do you make it? Um, how does it um, actually enter into your life and actually change the way you live, especially right. when you start thinking of all the other stressors that are going on to every single day? Think of, oh, that's right. I can only have a half a cup of coffee. And, you know, it, it's it's hard. And I mean, the bottom line, what we really need is eight hours of sleep. Yeah. If we have eight hours of sleep, we aren't as likely to do the things like overeat and drink too much alcohol and abuse other substances because those substances are just being brought into our body to wake us up because we're tired. Right. So, I mean, I think maybe if we just focus in like, okay, how am I going to get those eight hours? Right. Because we really need, I mean, kids need nine. Yeah. And that's up until your mid-20s. Yeah. So, and then what, what do you hear from people? Oh, I don't need nine. Well, you know, they're, they have six and they go out drinking and then they have some coffee to wake up and then they have a bunch of carbs and they feel horrible yeah. and they're not being as productive as they could be on any level. Relationships, work, you know, being a parent, being whatever right. it is that they need to, to do. 
Right. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not advocating to, for everyone to become monks or <laughs> this sort of thing. What What I'm advocating for is that people make informed choices. So, if you're going to drink alcohol and you like the effects of alcohol, like you like to get a little "I love you, man" sort of thing, then then that, or you like to, you know, just the numbing effects of it, or whatever effects of alcohol you want, but do it with the knowledge that there are negative. Effects. There's positive effects and negative effects. Caffeine, positive effects, negative effects. And just acknowledge that. There's no free lunch when it comes to drugs, unfortunately. And so if you go into it willingly, then I think people manage it better. You know, for instance, like for me, like now I used to drink coffee every day because I used to think I needed it to wake up. But then I realized that I was just tolerant of it after I think you get tolerant of it after like a couple weeks or something. And so I said, OK, well, if I because I, I love the coffee high where it's just perfect, you know, where you're not jittery, but mm-hmm. you're like you're on fire. You know, your brain is just working overdrive. I like that feeling, when, but I use it for particular moments. I don't just use it willy nilly because you only get a certain amount of time like that. And so gonna... when do you drink your coffee? I'm curious. Well, I try to only drink it before noon because if I drink it okay. after noon, I might not be able to fall asleep that night. I also will do it when I maybe I have a talk to give or a podcast to do or I have to write something. If writing requires my full brain <laughs> and when I am high on caffeine, I can write with I can write a lot. I can write very easily. I can read and write very easily. Whereas when my brain is off kilter, it's hard for me to write. So that's when I use my caffeine. Right. <laughs> and I, I, and I, I use my heroin at different times and my cocaine at different uh, times. You know, every, every drug has its place is my yeah. point. I find that I drink more caffeine when I'm here in the Northwest. When I've lived in other places in the country, I barely drink coffee. Mm. But when I came back home, I was, I thought, oh, I won't drink it. And I started out with like a half a cup. Oh, yeah. And then it's a full cup. (laughs) And then it's like, oh, two, three. And then like two o'clock in the afternoon, I'm thinking, hmm. So, um, you know, but I don't. You know, I'm also aware that when I do that, it ruins my sleep and that I'm going to struggle that night. So I remember going cold turkey off of caffeine a few years ago because I was just like, this is insane. I'm drinking coffee every day. And I just had the worst withdrawal symptoms for a couple of days. Like my brain was just like the opposite of what it was would be on on caffeine. So, well, to, to put a fine point on some common issues, I think, are a very common presenting problem is a parent brings in their 10-year-old into therapy saying they've been diagnosed with ADHD or their teacher thinks they have ADHD and they want medication for ADHD. And I'm guessing that a lot of those kids are sleep-deprived and that's the only reason why they have a problem with attention or hyperactivity. So there was um, a case study that I read about. It was about one person, so it's very limited. Um, This individual was a boy um, he had a lot of, he actually ended up being hospitalized for two years with, um, you know, psychotic behavior, depression, anxiety. I mean, everything that you don't ever want to hear that your child's diagnosed with, this kid was diagnosed, pulled out of school, put into a mental hospital. Many, many people got involved with this kid. And the end of the story is, is that somebody intervened in this kid's life and all they did was they took him off everything, all of his meds, weaned him off, and they um, gave him melatonin and all the symptoms rescinded. 
all of them. The kid went back to school. And when I read the, the case study, that was just about one person, one kid. Um, it was obviously a really dramatic case, which, you know, caught my attention. But... Uh, the family wasn't willing even to mess or to go back and adjust. They, uh, they they gave this kid, you know, X milligrams of melatonin. The kid slept. He slept for the first time and his psychotic behavior ended. So then I was sort of interested to see, well, what else are they saying out there about melatonin supplements? And um, I looked at a number of studies and they showed um, giving melatonin to a variety of ages of kids. And um, I believe there's sort of a, a spectrum. I want to say it was like point, it was really small, like 0.3 milligrams to like nine milligrams that they could give this to children. Um, and you would see dramatic shifts in their ability to go to sleep. And some of the kids that they looked at had, um, they weren't just the kids who could, they weren't just e-chronotypes. They were kids that had other things going on that were having difficulties going to sleep. And those would have been your ADH kids possibly because, you know, they, they weren't, not sure exactly what was going on with them, but they did give them melatonin supplements and then they were able to fall asleep, put themselves back on a, a schedule so they were able to get their eight, nine, ten hours of sleep, whatever they needed. So um, it, it's something to consider. I, I know it doesn't work for everybody, but if you have um, sort of a chest full of things to work with with people, I think melatonin is absolutely something that, you know, can be discussed. Mm-hmm. Um it's, you know, and it's not prescribed by a physician. You know, you buy it at Costco. The thing, of course, with it, it's not, um, it, you know, every time you pick up melatonin, it isn't always maybe exactly the same because it's not something that you would get from a pharmacy. Uh, but there's also this sort of, you know, somewhere between 0.3 to 9 milligrams, you can, you know, try to figure out if that, that would help a child or an adult or somebody um, go to sleep. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. When people don't sleep, they can become psychotic because they're not dreaming. And so people mm-hmm. actually start hallucinating oh, yeah. in their waking life. So you can also become depressed and lack of attention, hyperactive and irritable yeah. and all these things, as you've mentioned. And it also seems possible, and I had never thought about this before, that someone could have a disorder that purely involves their melatonin cycle. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, you can have disorders like of your fingernails, like, you know, your like I, my, my toenail, my pinky toenails are crazy looking you know they're, they're not normal there's something wrong with them and you know so you can have you can have everything right about your body so to speak everything within normal limits and then you know there could be just something askew one of those things could be your melatonin cycle yeah. and if that is off you could absolutely imagine that completely screwing up everything starting with one sleep and then branching out from there to all those other effects and and if you miss that as a potential treatment focus then you might be missing the one thing that is going to help them right. so and in this one case there's evidence that that's the case yeah there was yeah that was that was just the most dramatic case that i saw there was other um there's other studies, but that one was so shocking because here was this kid who was so psychotic. I mean, in a, I mean, to be hospitalized for two years is very dramatic. Yeah. Um, and he was, you know, a teenager. So now the chances that a psychotic kid will benefit from melatonin, I would say, is pretty slim. Yeah, but this is a really small percentage. Right, very, very small. But but something to possibly explore if you're in that situation. Right. It's just one more yeah. thing to look at. Right, and you Plus can actually low- test it. You oh. can test for melatonin. It's a melatonin secretion test. It's probably like a um, blood test or something. No, what they do is the the kid would um, or the adult would spend the night and they um, they test 
the levels in their saliva throughout the night. Mm. It's an expensive test, I'm sure. I'm not even sure if anybody does it around here. I would think University of Washington may do something like this. I'm not sure. Well, they have a big um, sleep sleep yeah. uh, um, clinic. So I would think, I know we don't do it like down a good Sam, because I think I asked actually if we had anything set up like that for um, testing for melatonin secretion, because it, it can be a problem for some people. Yeah. Um, it's just like one of those rare um, cases. But if you're the parent or you're the person or you're the <laughs> person who has this issue, um, it becomes pretty critical if you can't go to sleep. Yeah. One of my favorite songs of all time is a song called Melatonin by the Silver Sun Pickups. You're kidding. Really? Yeah. That's a song? Yeah. It's a Seattle band, Silver Sun Pickups, Melatonin. <laughs> it's a wonderful, wonderful <laughs> rock song. <laughs> Um, and I think they have a half Asian drummer too. So, you know, shout out to my brother if that's true. Um, I also want to talk a little bit about sleep medications because I think it's relevant with when it comes to Ambien. Have you ever taken Ambien before? I think I took Ambien one time when I was coming back from overseas and I was trying to get my, it did not work. I've got to tell you, I've, I've not had good experiences with Ambien and also the people around me have not. I mean, I've, yeah, not worked very well for them. I mean, wandering the house, wandering, you know, take the they wander the house, they get up, they eat, they wake up in the morning and they have chips everywhere. They don't remember getting up. I knew of one person who got up in the middle of the night and put makeup on and then went back to bed. I mean, yeah. odd, odd behavior. Well, what's scary is that that person woke up in the morning and they looked in the mirror and they had a bunch of makeup on and they had no idea and they had no idea what they did. But they also, but they know they put makeup on, but they don't know what else they did. I mean, maybe she went clubbing or something. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like, well, like she's in her seventies, so let's hope not. But you never know. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's probably clubs for seventy-year-olds. You never know. Um, in the mood, da da da. But uh, yeah, people think of Ambien as just this harmless drug that helps you fall asleep, but it's a pretty heavy-duty psychotropic that has a number of side effects. One of them being is it appears to turn off your ability. Essentially, you enter another state where you're not recording memories and you're essentially sleepwalking in a sense. And and one of the reasons why there are a lot of effects on women, and it sounds like some of the people you're talking about are women, is because most medications, the, the trials are with white men. And so there's this thought like, well, you know, it's it's a man. It probably translates to a woman. You know, aren't women and men the same? And everyone's like, that's ridiculous, right? Well, one of the things they found years later after they had been prescribing men and women the same prescription for Ambien is that women need half the amount. And so all these women were getting double the dosage. And when you have something like that, you'll have all these weird effects. You'll have all these you know, these sleepwalking things. The other thing is, is that doctors don't, in my opinion, properly tell people what to do with this drug. They just say, oh, you need trouble. You, you have trouble falling asleep. Here's a prescription for Ambien. And, and then they give you that, that long three-page disclosure. And in there probably explains it, but no one reads that, or very few people do. But one of the things they need to tell people is you need to take it when you're in bed because you your brain will turn off very quickly. I've seen people take Ambien and within minutes their brain has they're they're very high. They're 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 like really baked almost. It's like their their eyelids are half masked and they're kind of they're really weird and they act strange and 
And so what people will do is they'll be in front of the TV and they're like, well, I'm about to go to bed in an hour, half an hour. So I'll take this Ambien, then I'll be ready for bed. And what happens is their brain turns off, and but part of their brain is still on. And so they start wandering their kitchen or putting on makeup. And then eventually they go to bed and then they wake up in the morning and they're like, why are, why, you know, why are there materials to make a cake strewn all over my kitchen? And it's because the, the, the drug has, you know, quite an effect. I mean, some people say they've gotten in cars and they'll drive around and then they don't remember. And, and so there's all, all sorts of things that happen with Ambien. And so it's, it's, a, it's a dangerous substance and, and I feel like people are not being informed correctly. And I think that physicians are frankly prescribing it much too readily. It should be one of the last drugs that people prescribe, in my opinion, for sleep. Because there are other ones, like Xanax can will help you fall asleep, and that doesn't have any of those side effects. Xanax is just like a few shots of alcohol. And so the the amount of, you know, people don't take Xanax and get in their car and drive around the block. That, that doesn't, you know, it's not the, one of the effects. And so I was wondering, it's like, why aren't they just prescribing one of the less less side effecty uh, drugs? But anyway, any thoughts so, on that? Um, I have a, a question, actually. So Ambien is a psychotropic yeah. Okay, so what are the other medications in that classification that are similar to Ambien that yeah. that they could prescribe? Um, you know, I used to know the other names. I could look them up, but Ambien is by far the most, it's the most popular one, yeah. But there are others. And they all basically do the same thing. So what about, um, so you said Xanax. So what are some other drugs within the Xanax? That's a benzodiazepine or a benzo. Which is, which is um, addictive, right? Yeah. But any sleep medication, including alcohol or marijuana, anything you do to, t- to fall asleep can become habitual because on the, on the one night of the month that you decide to go cold turkey, your head hits the pillow and you're going to be like, I need that thing. I'm not going to be false. I need that thing because you're just, you're, just you're, you're habitually doing that thing. And so, so really any of the drugs. But, but Xanax, yeah, any of the benzos can, can become addictive for sure. Other benzos are Valium, Clonopin. There's a number of them. But yeah, those are traditionally used for anti-anxiety, acute anxiety, but they have a side effect that make you sleepy because it's a CNS depressant. It slows down your breathing and your heart rate and stuff. And so it makes it easier to fall asleep. Now, people shouldn't be taking, in my opinion, unless it's absolutely necessary, a sleep medication every single night. But maybe they're, like I said, like their mom died two days ago or they got in a car accident and they're 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 traumatized and they they can't fall asleep i think a sleep medication is is very responsible during that time because you have to weigh the pros and the cons it's like well there there are cons to taking a medication but there are also cons to not getting any sleep at night right so you just have to kind of gauge that and always in your mind thinking okay well eventually i'm i'm gonna wean myself off of this and i need i need some other practice that doesn't involve a substance that i'm dependent on the one thing, I don't think we've talked about exercise. Have we yeah. talked about exercise and the importance of exercise and rest? And like, and actually like when you, and, and when your exercise should, should happen. So it shouldn't happen at night unless you're going to go do, re, you know, yoga, <laughs> which is going to relax you. Um, if you're going to run 10 miles, you know, you shouldn't do that too close to bedtime. You know, you should do that, you know, er, earlier in the day, but also the importance of exercise and getting outside um, and doing something physical will help help sleep um, rather than 
sitting and being sedentary, even especially like if you're really exhausted, you know, to sit there, what do you do? You start drinking coffee, you start eating carbs, you, you know, you, you start this behavior. But instead, if you know, it's like, hey, wait a minute, I'm really tired. If I do this, it's actually going to hurt my sleep. So maybe what I'll do is I'll walk out to the mailbox or maybe I'll walk down the street and come back. Something to kind of get you moving so that you don't go towards those substances that actually are going to put you into the cycle again where you can't sleep. So then you get, you're like, so you're that awareness again. It's like, it's so much of it, I think just comes back to awareness. Uh, but you can really use exercise to help regulate your body and your system. Um, and we know that, of course, with, you know, um, people who are having issues, you know, issues mentally um, with depression or anxiety, you know, get out and exercise. But it also helps with sleep. It's it all works together. Yeah, and- it's such a catch twenty two or a or a cyclical issue. You know, the more the more exercise you get, the more healthy you are. The more sleep you get, the more energy you'll have. The the less depressed you'll be, the less anxious you'll be. The the less weight you'll gain, the better you'll eat. <laughs> The more energy you'll have, the better you'll sleep, the less reason you'll have to drink caffeine or alcohol, and the better your relationships will be, the better your health, the better you'll sleep, you know, just, and the Mm -hmm. reverse is true as well. The less you sleep at night, the more alcohol you drink, the more caffeine you drink, the the less energy you have for exercise, the more sort of your brain isn't functioning, the more time you have to spend doing just menial tasks, the less time you have to spend with your loved ones, the the less sleep you get, the, the more medications you need, and it just cascades, right? Mm -hmm. And without this awareness, I I think that people will just keep in that cycle thinking, well, this is either normal life or I just need that perfect substance or that perfect amount of alcohol or that perfect amount of Xanax or that perfect whatever. You know, the more we talk, the more I realize that we're really asking people to be monks, essentially. (laughs) Wake up at the same time every day, whether that's at six in the morning or, or nine in the morning, exercise, eat well, do good at work, don't don't drink caffeine too much. Don't drink alcohol. Don't, you know, use substances. Clean living. It is clean living. <laughs> it's almost impossible to do what you're saying. <laughs> I think it is impossible. Um, and maybe what we need to add in there is like an accountability group <laughs> that you need to be accountable to somebody. And maybe it isn't always that you've done it all, but maybe that you failed and that that's okay because you've got the next day, right? Yeah. And the next day you can try again. You're not going to be perfect every day. You're going to have coffee, ca- too much caffeine some days. And sometimes you're going to have too many glasses of wine at dinner. And, you know, gosh, maybe you'll go a week and you won't ever see the gym. And, uh, and you'll survive that. Yeah. But I think being in, being with family or loved ones or a partner or friends or, you know, whatever social groups that you've hopefully been able to establish, that those people can kind of uplift you and encourage you and also understand that you're going to probably fail often because we all do. I mean, gosh, I'm sitting here thinking about how much caffeine I had today and probably how I probably didn't need that chocolate bar, you know, (laughs) and that maybe I should have gone to the gym this morning rather than not going to the gym because the day before I ran long. I mean, it's, it's just this constant every day just trying to do your best. Well, on that note, I'll say that does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me, Kristen. I think this is an important topic that we need to spread the word about. So thanks for coming on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it. And get a good night's sleep because you also deserve that. Right, right, Kristen? Absolutely. (laughs) 